Hello, and welcome back to Tabling the Podcast. My name is Ariana Karp, and I'm here with a wonderful group of actors that is going to take us through Act Two of The Two Gentlemen of Verona. For a recap of Act One, see the previous episode, rather listen to it. <laughs> uh, we were introduced to quite a few of the characters, including our two gentlemen of Verona. And here at Tabling, what we like to do is do what actors, one of my favorite parts of the creative process when you're in a production. You sit down with the script, with the cast, you do some reading, you stop, you discuss it, you share ideas, you hopefully get new ideas from the people around you. Um, and we sort of come to um, a collective interpretation of the play that we can then go on in a, in a regular production and do some staging. I would love for us to, you know, if you as you're reading this are going, oh, wow, I have this amazing idea for a staging idea for this scene. Please feel free to like flag that and we can talk about that because stagecraft is obviously also a part of these discussions. Um, so what I would like to do for our audience is um, introduce our two final members of our ensemble, um, Larry and Ellen, and I would love for you to tell us <laughs> your name, which I've just said, of where you are recording from, what roles you are going to be reading for us, and um, and what your history is with this play. So Larry, let's start with you. Okay. Hi, everyone. I'm Larry Gleason. I'm calling in from Santa Fe, New Mexico, and it's in my home studio here. So I'm doing the Duke in, in case, you know, you, you, you kind of figured that part out. And um, I have no relationship with this play. I have only seen students doing scenes from it on occasion. And um, so that is that is it. I have no take on it. I haven't seen it. I haven't heard it. Uh, when you told me about the Duke, I immediately went to Google to go, who's the Duke? Because <laughs> he's the Duke of Milan. And it's like, when it, wrong play. But, in the play, he's never called the Duke of Milan. He's only referred to as the Duke. So um, here I am. So um, I hand it off. Larry, you're, you're in good company. Um, my, I'm Ellen. I'm reading for Sylvia. I'm calling in from Brooklyn, New York. If my sound sounds horrible, by the way, I can dial in on my phone. Um, let me know if this is really tinny. I also have no relation to this play apart from seeing it, some scenes performed at drama school. Um, not by me, just by my by my peers. Um, it's one of the Shakespeare comedies that I'm not as familiar with, but like I have a passing understanding of it. And like, I think Sylvia, from my remembrance, it's quite a funny, kind of funny. She's quite a funny, loyal, little, little quirky character. Uh, yeah, did I say where I'm from? Brooklyn, calling in from Brooklyn. Happy Excellent. To be here. Excellent. Thank you both so much. This and and just so that both of you know, this is kind of a common theme for the group, um, except for Izzy, my darling sis, um, who who did act in a production of this. Um, was it two years ago? Is I'm going to take that as a yes. Um, and uh, nobody else has performed in it or directed it or. or so it's it's fun to sort of with a lot of the plays that we've done so far I have been in multiple productions of them I've I've directed them it's it's so there's a lot of baggage I feel like for for all of the plays that we've done so far but this is like a brand new play I'm really excited to 
continue to discover it with everyone. So without any further ado, let's jump right into act two, scene one. Um, and we have our first encounter between Valentine and Speed. We were introduced to these characters <laughs> in act one, but this is their first moment together. So gents, why don't we read up until Sylvia's entrance? That little sort of French scene. Okay, have fun. Will do. Uh, sir, your glove? Not mine. My gloves are on. Why then, this may be yours, for this is but one. Huh? Let me see. Aye, give it me. It's mine. Sweet ornament, the Dexa thing divine. Ah, uh, Sylvia. Sylvia. Madam Sylvia, Madam Sylvia. How now, sirrah? She is not within hearing, sir. Why, sir, who bad you call her? Your worship, sir, or else I mistook. Well, you'll still be too forward. And yet I was last chidden for being too slow. Go to, sir. Tell me, do you know Madam Sylvia? She that your worship loves. Why, how know you that I am in love? Mary, by these special marks. First, you have learned, like Sir Proteus, to wreathe your arms like a malcontent, to relish a love song like a robin red breast, to walk alone like one that had the pestilence, to sigh like a schoolboy that had lost his ABC, to weep like a young wench that had buried her granddam, to fast like one that takes diet, to watch like one that fears robbing, to speak pooling like a beggar at Holomas, you were wont when you laughed to crow like a cock, when you walked to walk like one of the lions, when you fasted, it was presently after dinner. When you looked sadly, it was for want of money. And now you are metamorphosed with a mistress that when I look on you, I, I can hardly think you my master. Are all these things perceived in me? They are all perceived without ye. Without me, they cannot. Without you? Nay, that's certain, for without you were so simple, none else would. But you are so without these follies that these follies are within you and shine through you like water in a urinal. That not an eye that sees you, but is a physician to comment on your malady. But tell me, dost thou know my lady Sylvia? She that you gaze on so as she sits at supper? Hast thou observed that? Even she, I mean. Why, sir, I know her not. Dost thou know her by my gazing on her, and yet know'st her not? Is she not hard favored, sir? Not so fair, boy, is well favored. Sir, I know that well enough. What dost thou know? That she is not so fair as, of you, well favored. I mean that her beauty is exquisite, but her favors infinite. That's because the one is painted and the other out of all count. How painted? And how out of count? Mary, sir, so painted to make her fair that no man counts of her beauty. How esteemst thou me? I, I account her beauty. You never saw her since she was deformed. How long hath she been deformed? Ever since you loved her. I, I have loved her ever since I saw her, and still I see her beautiful. If you love her, you cannot see her. Why? 
because love is blind. Oh, that you had mine eyes or your own eyes had the lights they, um, they were wont to have when you chid at Sir Proteus for going ungartered. What should I see then? Your own present folly and her passing deformity. For he, being in love, could not see to garter his hose. And you, being in love, cannot see to put on your hose. Be like boy then, you are in love. For last morning you could not see to wipe my shoes. True, sir. I was in love with my bed. I thank you. You swinged me for my love, which makes me the bolder to chide you for yours. In conclusion, I stand affected to her. I would, um, I would you were set, so your affection would cease. Last night she enjoined me to write some lines to one she loves. And have you? I have. Are they not lamely writ? No, boy, but as well as I can do them. Peace, here she comes. Oh, excellent motion. Oh, exceeding puppet. Now will he interpret to her. Lovely, thank you both. Um, let me have my first question goes to you speed um what do you think so this is obviously this is the servant master relationship we talked a little bit about the sort of commedia roots um uh, in our act one discussion about about this character and the sort of and and something that i did realize afterwards is an, an important thing for the 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 trusty servant the the smart servants is the servants always hungry right this mm -hmm. is like one of my favorite things about comedia servants they're always like where's the next bowl of food um so what do you think the the relationship is between speed and valentine it is so the working relationship yeah as it were. We, we mentioned um on the last episode of the cast um that uh it it often seems like the uh the the talking back is encouraged or if not a standard part of the relationship because uh, boy oh boy does Speed know that he can get away with some stuff here. There is a lot of sass back and uh, it, it like the sass back in both directions but it never reaches a point where it feels like it's um, I guess unwanted. Um, I particularly enjoy the part where Speed just like openly outs the fact that he knows that Valentine's obsessed with her. And it's just like, oh, yep, I, I, I know everything and I'm going to let you know that. It's like its own little power play there. Um, but no, definitely it's like, he's subservient. He gets talked down constantly. He's, I mean, I'm getting called boy every other line. Um, but uh, I, I still manage to uh, constantly in every single line sass him and uh I, I appreciate that wholeheartedly and it it i guess adds an extra layer than just servant master and uh yeah i i like the sass that he's able to get through full stop awesome thank you colin i and i really you know something that i and and we're gonna see this in the next section but something I really appreciate about Speed is that Speed seems to understand what's not being said mm -hmm. at all times. You know, like there is, there is, um, like it's so great when we get to Valentine's. Like, oh God, she gave me back my letter. What <laughs> yeah, he's I oddly omniscient. He's like, oh, are you, are you kidding me? She was giving it to you. Oh, you idiot. You know, like there is a really funny like. Did you not make that logical jump? She was like making it for you, you know? Um, 
And uh, Sam, tell me about, I mean, this is a very different Valentine than the beginning act one, scene one. Oh my goodness. Like, tell us, tell us about this sort of change and transformation. Any thoughts or feelings? Um, well, I mean, I th- in last week's episode, um, we did talk about how high status Valentine was in that scene and just sort of this massive difference between him and Proteus and how they're approaching that moment. And it's really interesting because then he disappears for the rest of the act. The play is called Two Gentlemen of Verona, but as far as the first act is concerned, it's, it's Proteus's act. So then to immediately come back and to watch him just be an absolutely low status character with his servant is fantastic. And it's also really fun because this is definitely a guy who's never been in love before. Like, I'm not even sure if based on the lines or how we're going through it or the choices that the production would make, if he's ever even been interested in women before. Um, I kind of almost see it like, uh, and it's maybe just because that beach bum image that you showed at the beginning, like really stuck in my head. Um, But like the sense of like, I think he's like a real jock, you know, he's like all about learning all the things that young men of means are supposed to know. He wants to go out for adventure. You know, he wants to surf all day because surfing is fun. Um, And then to find himself completely, at least Proteus has lived in that love struck world for a while when we first see him. He's not happy about it, but he's used to it. Whereas uh, Valentine seems to just be completely knocked off his axis. Like this is a, a, not to use overly technical, but like he is going mobile throughout this entire scene. This scene is just one bit of mobility where he's being teased about Sylvia. And then finally, the, the thing that I think is adorable is when he's like, you could see all of that in me. I'm not hiding it. It's just so effing cute. <laughs> Thank you, as always, for bringing Lobin movement psychology into any conversation. Um, Sam Blinn brought some Lobin into Henry the Fourth Part Two, and I, I, I'm just very excited whenever that whenever that happens. Um, wonderful. Did did anyone else have any sort of observation? Yeah, Jane, please. Sam, I have to say, when you started this scene for a minute, I thought it was Mitch. You, your voice actually sounded so much more like Proteus's voice sounded in act one. And it, it, I mean, it worked like, and that made me go, oh, wait, I get it. Like your, the way that you actually intoned Valentine in this scene was so different than the way you intoned Valentine in act one. Beautifully so, and, and appropriately so, because you're, you've gotten bitten by the love bug now and you're a changed man and I, I love I mean and the you use the word metamorphose right at the outset just like Proteus does in act one and and I just thought you you carried that through beautifully yeah Larry so there was uh, two things because uh, like a good actor I only read my lines I didn't read anybody else's lines so when <laughs> When we get to the part where Speed is giving, you know, these are the marks, all of a sudden I went, as you like it, and that's Rosalind. And so then my my take is, what does Shakespeare think about Speed and his smartness? Because Rosalind is so on top of everything. 
you know, she's overly in love, you know, and has a philosophy about it. But here he goes through, it's almost verbatim in, in a way, you know, paraphrase verbatim. And, um, and I thought that was really interesting. And I don't know what I would do with that. Uh, you know, as speed, I go, okay, what does that say about me? What is Shakespeare saying about me? And um, so I kind of like the take that, that we're going with so far and how he is smart and how he is intelligates ahead of time can see three steps ahead of time. The second comment is that um, when I encounter Valentine in the fifth act, I am I learn something about him and I and I see something different about him. And it, it's and you know not to jump all the way to act five, but it, it's that arc that I can see happening where he doesn't know a whole lot in the beginning. And then by the end I don't know whether it's inspiration or what he learns. It, it just stumbles forth, and the Duke recognizes it and re realizes kind of like the error of his ways, you know, and says, Valentine, you're the one. So um, I just think that that's really, those are my two interesting points from, from the reading that I just got. Lovely. Thank you. Yeah, I, I think it's it's wonderful that you bring up as you like it. Something that came up in our act one discussion is sort of because this is one of Shakespeare's earliest plays, seeing the seeds of ideas and tropes and themes that he wanted to explore further. Right. And we've we've already found a whole bunch of resonances. I actually started rereading Tina Packer's Women of Will last night and there's a really interesting argument that she has about the the women in Shakespeare and how you can really tell that there's a different attitude. The attitude towards them changes. And she she I read a tiny bit about what she had to say about Julia and Sylvia. But what was really interesting is they actually kind of break the mold of the Kate Bianca, like harpy virgin on a pedestal dichotomy. And same with Adriana and uh, Luciana in Comedy of Errors in that they're a little bit, they're actually a little bit more complicated than those, those sort of pairs of, of women in those plays, which I think is, is, is very cool. And something I, I actually have thought a lot about as you like it in relation to this play. Um, and something, one of my favorite moments in the play is when Julia is, um, disguised as Sebastian because Shakespeare loves the name Sebastian and Antonio and used them for the first time here, right? Um, but uh, it's Sebastian. So Julia and Sylvia have this moment together and there is such a, a just such a remarkable acts of friendship, even though Sylvia doesn't know that she's speaking to Julia. There is a really interesting sort of feminine solidarity that happens in that scene that to me is like very, very different from some of the other earlier women that that we are going to explore because actually my next two projects are Taming of the Shrew and Comedy of Errors. So I'm really I'm sort of lumping all these early comedies in um to the same month. And I'm I'm it's it's exciting to sort of get to to see where these where these little seeds of characters and and then how they grew and how they changed, um, and speaking of which, let us meet our other lovely lady, Sylvia. Actually, well, uh, um, can we quick one note before we? Oh yeah, away? of course. Oh yeah, I just wanted to say I think it's interesting because we're talking about 
relationships and how, um, you know, in this one, Valentine is very much taking on some of the imagery that Proteus did early on and the vibe that <laughs> vibe that he was having. But um, I think what's interesting is that Speed is not exactly taking on what Valentine was in terms of the teasing. Like, yes, he is also teasing a little bit about um, you know, falling in love and how silly you are, but it's not the same because it's not exactly as dismissive, which I find interesting, which is why it's kind of almost more palatable because it's just someone being like, no, no, dude, you're in love. Like I can tell, but, but it's not like, it's not like, oh God, you're so boring now that you're in love or, you know, and like, that's all you do now, um, which, which I think is kind of, funny and obviously we see speed interact with a few people who say they're in love later on as well and i i just think it's interesting his commentary versus those like the classic kind of almost manly trope of like dude how dare you be in love like oh and <laughs> and we don't see that from speed and that's why we see that like that intelligence kind of come up that like you can you can poke at people but it doesn't have to be this negativity completely even if you're making fun of someone, I guess. Yeah, there it, it's, I, I, I th thank you for pointing that out is, I think there is a, a, a distinction, right, between sort of, there's like cynicism and then there's belittlement. And it does feel like, like healthy skepticism is great, but when it sort of veers into belittlement, personal belittlement, which I think we kind of get a little bit in, Act one, scene one, uh, Valentine to Proteus. And I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to our next scene with Valentine and Proteus because their dynamic seems to be very different. And in fact, Proteus comments on how he feels differently about Valentine than he did the last time they saw him. Um, one, yeah, one same. thing, just because things like this are, I think, really cool, but um, I forget who said it at Lambda, but always make a list of everything that other characters say about you and a list of things that you say about yourself. And speed speech here is pretty much just acting notes, right? <laughs> like that's what that list is. You used to be this way. Here's the things that you should be paying attention to in the first act. And here's how, here's some notes for how you should be acting now um and i think that that's just like a really clever useful gift that shakespeare is giving especially you know in original performance practices when you wouldn't have time to get yeah. all of these notes and work with the director and stuff like that absolutely I agree i like so reading this character i kind of have to grapple between like is he a character or is he just a narrative device because uh like if, if you read too far into it you can like really verge into uh jar jar binks is a sith lord territory and like i don't want that <laughs> but like he does like i mean he gets like one of something to the degree of a thesis statement where like ah oh, yes love makes you blind and like you can really feel shakespeare just like ah okay so I want them to know it, so I'll give it to Speed. So I, I like that Speed gets a lot of the like blunt content, um, but yeah, no, I, I fully agree. A lot of the stuff that he does just serves a narrative function. Yeah, and I, I would sort of say if I was working with a group of actors, these are internal stage directions, right? They're 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 very fun um, internal stage directions. So let us meet Sylvia. 
the lady of the woodlands or something. I don't know. There's something to do with the woods that's associated with her name. <laughs> All right. And um, let us read to the end of this scene, please. Madam and mistress, a thousand good morrows. Oh, well, give ye good even. Here's a million of matters. Sir Valentine and servant to you two thousand. He should give her interest and she gives it him. As you enjoined me, I have written your letter unto the secret nameless friend of yours, which I was much unwilling to proceed in, but for my duty to your ladyship. I thank you, gentle servant. Tis very clerkly done. Now, trust me, madam, it came hardly off. For being ignorant to whom it goes, I writ it random, very doubtful. Perchance you think too much of so much pains. No, madam, so instead you I will write, please your command a thousand times as much. And yet... Period. Well, I guess the sequel. And yet I will not name it. And yet I care not. And yet take this again. And yet I thank you, meaning henceforth, to trouble you no more. And yet you will. And yet another yet. What means your ladyship? Do you not like it? Yes, yes, the lines are very um, quaintly writ, but since uh, unwillingly, take them again. Nay, take them. Madam, they are for you. Aye, aye, you writ them, sir, at my request, but I will none of them. They are for you. I would have had them writ more movingly. Uh, please you, I'll write your ladyship another. And when it's writ for my sake, read it over, and if it please you, so, if not, why so? If it please me, madam, uh, what then? Why, if it please you, take it for your labor, and so good morrow, servant. Oh, just unseen, inscrutable, invisible, as a nose on a man's face or a weathercock on a steeple. My master sues to her, and she hath taught her suitor, he being her pupil, to become her tutor. Oh, excellent device. Was there ever heard a better that my master being scribe to himself should write the letter? Uh, how now, sir? What, are you reasoning with yourself? Nay, I was rhyming. Tis you that have the reason. To do what? To be a spokesman for Madame Sylvia. To whom? To yourself. Why, she woos you by a figure. What figure? Uh, by a letter, I should say. Why, she hath not writ to me. What need she when she hath made you write to yourself? Why, do you not perceive the jest? No, believe me. No, believing you indeed, sir, but did you perceive her earnest? She gave me none except an angry word. Why, she hath given you a letter. That's the letter I writ to her friend. And that letter hath she delivered. And there an end. I would it were no worse. I'll warn you, tis as well. For often have you writ to her, and she in modesty, or else for want of idle time, could not again reply. Or fearing else some messenger that might her mind discover, herself hath taught her love himself to write unto her lover. All this I speak in print, for in print I found it. Why muse you, sir? Tis dinner time. I have dinned. Aye, but hearken, sir. Through the chameleon love can feed the, on the air. 
I am one that am nourished by my victuals and would fain have meat. Oh, be not like you, miss. Uh, oh, be not like your mistress. Be moved. Be moved. Um, I just love like the failure of communication here is just like amazing. Ellen, I loved what you were doing. I'm like, D- it for for you. Like it was just so clearly like. Again, it just puts me in mind that they're so young. I think they have to be so young. But yeah, uh, Ellen, what are your sort of first impressions of of, of Sylvia? Sylvia. Um, well, now that you've mentioned As You Like It, now my brain is thinking about Silvio. Silvius. Silvius from the woods. Um, uh, first impressions of Sylvia. Seems like a nice kind of lady. Seems nice. Seems a bit sweet. Seems like she has a crush. Feels like she's a bit shy. Also thinks he might be a bit stupid, but doesn't want to like tell him that she thinks he's dumb, but it's dropping lots of hints. Charming, totally charming. I did think that this was sort of like an arrested development moment. Like after I leave, uh, specifically Sam, because your delivery like made me think of Jason Bateman. And you were like, that's the letter I wrote to her friend. And I was like, that just felt very like Jason Bateman. I thought it was very funny. Um, also, you know that scene from New Girl where Jess has a flashback and she's like, this is classic. This is classic Eduardo. And Eduardo like gives her a letter and he's like, it's for you, Jess. She's like, it's for Cece. And he's like, Cece, Jess. And it's like back and forth. And I make it, am I yes. ringing bells yes. for anyone? Great. Oh yes, absolutely. It's just like really laying the groundwork for new girls. So like Elizabeth Merriweather basically has William Shakespeare to thank for her comedy. That's, you know, just wanted to dumb it down, dump down the conversation. Sorry guys. Well, who's on who's on first i don't know third base <laughs> yeah classic yeah. um yeah i'm looking forward to seeing uh her develop a little bit this is her first scene right so this is like the first time we come in it's been set up that she asked valentine to write a letter for her friend but it's actually him she like wanted him yes. to get okay yeah classic i love that she's like getting him to write a love letter to himself in this like really interesting like not a great tactic not a great tactic but sure like could go wrong (laughs) but I also I really enjoy that it's like what I enjoy about that second section of the scene is that it's like each one of those three characters has a totally different perception of what's going on right like not a single one of them has this well I guess maybe speed is a little bit more like getting what Sylvia's doing, but there is like this really funny, it's like speed has to turn into the translator for like what's just happened. Do you like, do you get it? And he's, no. <laughs> um, I think that this, yeah. this moment's just so great. Like I, like with, with this play in particular, it's like, take what you can get and any point that we can celebrate male mediocrity, I will like take that moment. And it's just, I, I'm, I'm glad to be the one that gets to point it out as the character. It, it's a fun, great scene. Yeah, Mitch. <laughs> one thing that's interesting about Speed in this moment is I think this is the only moment so far where he chooses to advance the plot rather than attempts to slow down the plot, right? Like we constantly see him pulling backwards. Speed the plot. <laughs> right. But he like chooses for whatever reason to be like, all right, I'm going to go in and I'm going to explain to him what just happened. <laughs> 
and that's his choice, right? He could allow Valentine to sort of stumble about an ignorance. Totally. Or like, days. or misdirect him even further. Like he, yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. What Sam, you- did you have something? I just think it's a really good bit. I think this scene is like actually really good. It's like, it's, 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 I mean, I know that there's things that I would call bits in like Greek comedy and Roman comedy, but this actually really feels like a really well-formed bit. And like who's on first is a great example of the letter back and forth. It's just a, it's just a proto version of who's on first. And the other thing that I really love, and if, if, if we were having real discussions about staging it, I really like that um, Valentine interrupts Speed's aside or is actually aware that Speed is having an aside, which I think is like really funny. And um, again, probably one of the, that have more Shakespeare text up in your head. Like that doesn't very much happen. I don't think of like, like I see that scene as Speed is talking to the audience, like, Valentine sees him doing it and then like kind of comes up behind him as he's continuing to talk to the audience and then just the line like how now sir what are you reasoning to yourself just feels like such a good way of it it, it, it feels like there's a point of good physical and almost a fourth wall I mean I know that there is no fourth wall here but actually making a commentary on the form in and of itself in the text in a really fun kind of be, like again it's a bit right these are two bits uh vaudeville the only other observation i had that i thought was funny was that there's three people in that scene when sylvia comes in but she like does not acknowledge speed at all and has and speed is just like kind of off to the side like talking to the audience and i do that's visually a very funny thing like that sylvia just completely ignores him and uh, is locked in on valentine i just think that's visually very funny yeah there was my- a in- Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Colin. Because in my ideal staging, Speed does rise to a separate plane from the rest of the characters. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. I think it's also, I mean, it's great. I think, Sam, yeah, it's like a meta theatrical moment, right? And and Colin, as you said before, there's there's sort of a a narrative function that Speed is is giving us. Like, I love the, and yet, and yet another yet, you know, like as if, as if we needed an interpreter. And then it's it's interesting. It's like speed goes from being the interpreter to the audience of this hilarious interaction between these two young people who clearly really like each other. And then he has to like, oh God, do I have to translate for you too? You know, to Valentine. It's like this interesting speed as translator. That's really, that's really fun. I and and I can't think of a lot of other meta theatrical moments. It's interesting because uh Valentine, I believe, has two moments alone with the audience um in the play so it would be really interesting to sort of set up a convention that like speed is the only like speed and lance maybe are the only people that acknowledge the audience and then like somehow break that when the shit hits the fan and we start getting exiled and things start breaking up it's like oh wow there's an audience here so i could see a lot of really interesting staging uh decisions uh that could be made to do with who who has access it's something i'm always interested in when directing shakespeare it's like who does have access to the audience um because that's quite that's quite a privileged uh relationship to establish um let us go on to two two and because this is a very short and sweet one let's read through the whole thing have patience gentle julia i must where is no remedy 
When possibly I can, I will return. If you turn not, you will return the sooner. Keep this remembrance for thy Julia's sake. Why then we'll make exchange. Here, take you this. And seal the bargain with a holy kiss. Here is my hand for my true constancy. And when that hour o'erslips me in the day wherein I sigh not, Julia, for thy sake, the next ensuing hour, some foul mischance torment me for my love's forgetfulness. My father's day is my coming. Answer not. The tide is now. Nay, not the tide of tears. That tide will stay me longer than I should. Julia, farewell. What? Gone without a word? I. So true love should do. It cannot speak, for truth hath better deeds than words to grace it. Sir Proteus, you are stayed for. Go, I come, I come. Alas, this parting strikes poor lovers dumb. Oh, you just cursed yourself there, Proteus. <laughs> when I forget <laughs> yeah. about you, let me go through hell. Well, well it's also <laughs> the first, I, I was just thinking like about the first act when we were, we were talking about how the conflict hadn't been established or even really um, uh, foreshadowed at any point. I think this is the first line where the audience might be like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> like, is this, is this what we're, is this what we're in for? Is he going to forget her? I think this is the first time we talk about him being constant. I guess Julia talked about him just as, in his personality being constant, but we didn't hear about like the fact that he's leaving um, his constancy being a, a potential issue. Absolutely. Um, I also just wanted to clock. Um, we've heard the word metamorphosed twice already in the play, which is quite a word. Then at the end of the past scene, we had chameleon, right? Something that changes. And then we have Julia saying, if you turn not here, meaning if you change not or transform not. So there's a really interesting, th I mean, I think it's so clear just to put on my Shakespeare nerd hat here that like Shakespeare carried around a copy of Ovid everywhere and like was so obsessed with that book of Ovid's Metamorphosis um, because the idea of transformation and emotions transforming characters is so integral to all of all of the canon boom but also to um to this play in particular i mean they there's so much language about this emotion has changed me into something different sometimes that's a good thing and sometimes that's a bad thing yeah miles and as I think, I think you pointed out in the uh, last uh, in the last session, the name uh, Proteus. It also kind of refers to changing. It was uh, it actually uh, there, there was a, a character in Greek mythology called uh, Proteus, and if Hercules had to talk to him on the way one of his labors, he was like a demigod. He had to uh, hold on to him as he shapeshifted into different animals. So, and, and again, kind of there, that's the very deliberate idea the, of change, of metamorphosing. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Uh, yeah, Sam. Um, just to, because I, I really like this idea too of them being all young and inexperienced. And I think it would be like really interesting to have a production with like 15 and 16 year olds doing these parts. But I just, as like a visual gag, when they exchange rings and seal this bargain with the holy kiss, I've 
kind of giggled to myself because the next line is, here's my hand for my true constancy. And I know that in the script it says they kiss, but this idea that they put rings on and when Julia is asking for a kiss, he puts out his hand for her to kiss the ring and then like kisses her ring in turn is kind of like this little awkward moment, like immediately popped out into my head. And also as a way, I think, because it's interesting what you said about these female characters too, as opposed to other Shakespearean ones where Julia is kind of being very forward and forthright here about what she wants in, in a way. And she's the one that says, let's put the holy kiss on it. And, and I think even about Romeo and Juliet now and how their first meeting is driven. And so I really kind of like the idea that the two women in this play are much like young women actually are, are kind of ahead of the boys um, here. And I just thought that that could be like a kind of a funny little gag that goes on in this particular moment since we are pointing these out. Absolutely. Yeah, Mitch. Totally agree about Julia driving that that portion of the scene. As you were talking about that, I just realized that what she what they end up enacting in this moment is a marriage ceremony. They put rings on each other's fingers. They kiss each other. And then Which, like, right. So like they are in some way they, yeah. In Elizabethan times was pretty much as good as being married. Right. Um, if you declared your, the thing they're, they're missing is a witness, but um, there, the marriage as we, as we discovered in, um, in Hamlet, in our Hamlet discussion, consummating a relationship could be very much seen as a form of marriage right so there there are there are much different ideas about marriage and sex during the elizabethan and jacobean times than we have today but it is they do they exchange rings and they they make a vow right they they are kind of married in this in this sense um and Samantha, I wanted to bring you into this yeah. about like what your thoughts are on Julia and the fact that she just, I think it's so funny that he's like, no, no, don't sigh. Like, don't, don't speak to me. And then she's like, okay, fine. Well, and yeah. I like, mean, that's, that's what I was out. thinking. I was like, I was like, Proteus is here being like, oh, she didn't say anything. It's like, well, well, bro, you told me not to. And like, sure. I think I do agree with Gilroy about, uh, like Julia and, um, Sylvia being a, a bit ahead of the guys in terms of like love and all of that. But at the same time, I still find Julia to be incredibly naive because she's, I think she has a better, un I don't know that she has a better understanding of love. I think it's just a very naive, like heart driven love. And she just like, yeah. it's already, I think she, she has completely devoted herself to him, but I Proteus still doesn't feel like he has like in this scene talking about his like talking about like the um oh what if what am i trying to sam what are you saying um <laughs> um basically like the like turn not moment and like don't don't if you if you don't change you'll come back to me sooner like that kind of stuff it's yeah i don't you know i don't think the conversation would go the other way because it's just expected for julia to be a, a, a devout servant to her now husband question mark yeah you know <laughs> And I also think it's really interesting that at the point where they've gone through this like ceremonial ring exchange and kiss, um, although the like kiss on the hand idea makes me laugh a lot. I think that would actually be really funny. Um, it is, I do find it interesting that that's the last time Julia speaks in the scene because it's now they're like 
bound together and it's almost like Proteus is the only voice in the relationship. Which happens in a lot of comedies when Mm -hmm. the women get betrothed, they suddenly have no more lines. Yes, Mitch. Yeah, I as we dig deeper into his attempt to like control her responses and her emotions in that speech, right? Like, don't cry. You don't wait. Why didn't you say anything? Like, I, I think this is one of the many, one of many examples where like the women are, I think sort of barely human to Proteus. Um, I think it's, it's a lot about him. It's, it's a lot about how her emotions are affecting him or her actions are affecting him. Um, yeah. And I think that's, that's all over this play in little ways. And will be one of the major conflicts that will arise. Correct. Yeah. yeah Sam. And then, um, oh yeah, Jane. Yeah. Jane go ahead, first. Sam. And then, uh, oh, go ahead, Jane. Just to, to history nerd out for two seconds, this idea of, of the dominant strain of love that had sort of been written about before Shakespeare's time was courtly love, like, which is a very defined thing and part of the definition of courtly love is the most pure love that can possibly exist between two people is an unconsummated love it's one where you have to be divided by one another and the fact that you cannot be together for a variety of reasons makes that love bigger and more profound and what i think is really interesting here is i think that proteus is very much in love with the idea of courtly love, like the miserableness that he feels is part of his devotion to Julia. And I feel like Julia has no truck with courtly love and is part of like the new romantic movement that is starting in this time where she's like, oh no, we should, okay, you love me, I love you, we should be together. Here, here's a ring. Okay, you give me yours, we'll kiss now. And, and I think in a weird way, there's an undercurrent here where it's almost kind of a little bit eroding away. It's like, this is not the idealized form of love that I want in this particular moment. Um, and, and I think that there's veins of that coming through. Yes, thank you. you. Yeah, Jane. That, Sam, because it, what I was gonna share builds on it beautifully, I think. And that is uh, sort of a later iteration of this idea in Shakespeare's Twelfth Night when Orsino is very much wrapped up in this notion of courtly love and he needs to marry Olivia because he's the count, she's the countess, that is as it should be. She spurns him forever and he just sort of moans and groans and wishes for law, you know, that it should be so. And that, but Olivia is like, no, 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 I'm holding out for the real deal. Now, whether she actually gets a real deal is sort of a funny other part of the story. But the other piece that's, that's so parallel here is that the women in Twelfth Night are very much the drivers of the non-courtly romantic love action, right? Where Viola is just dedicated to Orsino and, and just, you know, it kills her to have to go represent him and, and court Olivia on his behalf. Meanwhile, Olivia falls in love with Viola, who she happily replaces with Sebastian, her twin brother, and, you know, it's passion love, right? Like, but it's women characters very much driving this idea and, and actually getting the men to go along with it, right? Olivia, you know, just has this moment with Sebastian is like, dude, let's go get married. You know, I would, would you were ruled by me? And he's like, I'm game. She's like, yes. 
and so this is it's really funny how the men are sort of set up in this very traditional courtly fashion and the women are, are kind of the drivers of a new a new way of loving and a new way of of engaging i mean aside from some of the other difficulties that we know we're going to encounter in this play it's an interesting um seed that's being planted in this early comedy that really comes to fruition big time in 12th night absolutely yeah mitch and gilroy i think you alluded to this being the last thing proteus has before he leaves and i think he doesn't he doesn't respond well um to his version of love like being undermined and i think actually that's really helpful if you're playing proteus um i I think it really affects him that she leaves without saying something uh, even though he told her to um what gone without a word and then he convinces himself okay that's what that's what should happen that's what should happen she did the right thing pantino says okay you gotta go he's like okay i'm coming and then he goes back to alas this parting strikes poor lovers dumb and i think if he's left with this sort of like oh she's like made me feel something that I don't want to feel like, Oh God, why would she do that? Like that sort of sets him up to be so quickly, you know, uh, driven somewhere else or well, driving himself undone, somewhere else. To yes. Use one of my favorite Shakespeare <laughs> verbs. Um, I also think it's, 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 it's worth noting um, that I do feel like there is a the suggestion of a sexual awakening for Julia in the kiss contend, do what you will. Like I'm going to fold the names together and just let them do what they want to do. Like, and that is very different, right. From the, the courtly love. Um, Yeah. Larry. Okay. (laughs) Go. I come. I go. (laughs) It's Beck. It's like Beckett, you know, it's (laughs) I don't know where I am right now. <laughs> I think it's perfect. And it's like in five words. <laughs> that is such a good point that it's like he's giving himself two imperative commands, right? Yeah. <laughs> go, come. <laughs> like, well, I think the go is to Pantino, but I still think that's there, right? It's like, I think the yeah. go oh, is yeah. to Pantino. Go. Like, I'm coming, I, I, I'm coming. I come. Yeah, he's like very clearly not settled and in control in this moment. Yeah, yeah. I think he's just like... <laughs> Because when he gets poor lover is dumb, I think he's that's where his headspace is like, go, come, come, go. Who's going? I'm coming. You're going. Okay, I'm, yeah, I'm coming. You know, it's like, you know, it can't, it absolutely is meant to be that way. But I also think there's that, you know, other thing going on. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And I think there is a beautiful parody of this parting. Let's transition to two, three, and let's read it all the way through. Um, as we will see with with Lance constantly is coming in the scene after something huge happens and gives us a very sort of satiric take on what a romantic parting looks like. So take it away, Is. <laughs> Nay, twill be this hour ere I have done weeping. All the kind of Lances have this very fault. I have received my proportion like the prodigious son, and am going with Sir Proteus to the Imperial's court. I think my dog, Crab, nope. Uh, I think Crab, my dog, be the sourest natured dog that lives. My mother, 
weeping, my father wailing, my sister crying, our maid howling, our cat wringing her hands, and all our house in a great perplexity, yet did not this cruel-hearted cur shed one tear. He is a stone, a very pebble stone, and has no more pity in him than a dog. Why, my grandam, having no eyes, look you, wept herself blind at my parting. Nay, I'll show you the manner of it. This shoe is my father. Uh, no, this left shoe is my father. No, 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 this left shoe is my mother. May that come out be so neither. Yes, it is so. Oh, it is so. It hath the worser soul. This shoe with the hole in it is my mother, and this my father. A vengeant aunt, there it is. Now, sir, the staff is my sister, for look you, she is as white as a lily and as small as a wand. This hat is Nan, our maid. I am the dog. Uh, uh, no, the dog is himself, and I am the dog. Oh, the dog is me, and I am myself. I. So, so. Now come I to my father. Father, your blessing. <laughs> now should not the shoe speak a word for weeping. Now should I kiss my father? Well, he weeps on. Now come I to my mother. Oh, that she could speak now like a wood woman. Well, I kiss her. Why, there it is. Oh, mm. here's my mother's breath up and down. Now come I to my sister. Mark the moan she makes. Now the dog all this while sheds not a tear, nor speaks a word. But see how I lay the dust with my tears. Lance, away, away, aboard. Thy master is shipped and thou art to post after with oars. What's the matter? Why weeps thou, man? Away, ass, you'll lose the tide if you tarry any longer. It is no matter if the tide were lost, for this is the unkind, for it is the unkindest tide that ever any man tied. What's the unkindest tide? Why, he that's tied here, Crab, my dog. Tut, man, I mean thou lose the flood, and losing the flood, lose thy voyage, and losing thy voyage, lose thy master, and in losing thy master, lose thy service, and in losing thy service, what is the statement of? For fear thou shouldst lose thy tongue. Where should I lose my tongue? In thy tail. In thy tail? Lose the tide and the voyage and the master and the service and the tide? Why, man, if the river were dry, I am able to fill it with my tears. If the wind were down, I could drive the boat with my sighs. Come, come away, man. I was sent to call thee. Sir, call me what thou darest. Wilt thou go? Well, I will go. Great. Thank you, Is. Tell us about Lance. So this is our first time encountering this wonderful. It's like Shakespeare decided, oh, I'm going to write a malaprop character. A malaprop meaning like a, a character that like switches their words. So like the I've received my proportion. He means to say portion like the prodigious son, he means the prodigal son. And then he just sort of is like, no, I don't think I will actually. And then like, you don't do a lot of malaprops for the rest of the play, but in this moment you do. So yeah, tell me your, your sort of impressions of the character. I do, I do appreciate that the malapropism kind of goes away 
because I think it's one thing that is is harder sometimes to hold up in Shakespeare comedies because half the time like to make some like Dogberry in Much Ado or Elbow in Measure for Measure funny sometimes it's just like okay no we get it we got it and so like I think it's good that we we have a few at the beginning and then it's that kind of goes away and it's more focused on some other things and more of like the parallel of what's going on in all the other scenes. Um, and also just kind of being the opposite of speed in many ways. <laughs> like, yes, he's observing things, but not in a like, ooh, yes, I got that. Um, <laughs> even though he's also playing with words and like, um, you know, probably making Pantino annoyed. Um, but I think, I think what's so interesting is that Lance, even in the like one scene where he doesn't have a dog or isn't, it doesn't plainly state that there's a dog there. Like it's just, it's, it's really defined by the dog. That dog could be a stuffed animal and it would be funny. It could be the worst behave. Like we talked about this last time. I think I've seen productions where it's either. Um, uh, our dog, <laughs> loving me was a little of uh, this big just lovable deaf dog who was just kind of wandering around the whole time you know and it was an outdoor theater so um there were other dogs in the audience sometimes which is just a whole nother level of like oh there's interactions with the dogs now which kind of makes it made me think like well would that ever have happened like I don't know it's just like unpredictable and I do appreciate most of Lance's humor, not all of it. Um, we, we cut a little bit, right? Not in this scene, but a different one. Yeah, yeah. I just didn't, yeah. Well, yeah. we can, and we can talk about where that, where that happens. But yeah. Um, yeah, I think that that is the key to, to the, the humor as, as so many, you know, I've been reading a whole bunch of sort of academic essays about this play. And basically like everyone starts off with saying, and the character that steals, not the show, but like the canon. <laughs> is crab the dog who can be any kind of dog can be small can be big can be like well groomed or not well groomed can behave very well or very poorly it doesn't matter the audience is gonna laugh so it's really great it's really great to have that comedic element here especially when we're gonna go <laughs> I feel like we need to end the play with crab. You know, that, that was the part that Shakespeare should have wrote was like, just like crab walking across the stage. That's what Hamlet needed. Hamlet and needed that's the, the dog. End of the play. <laughs> Hamlet needed a dog. Yeah. Seriously. It is also, yeah, I think it is important that the scene comes after the Proteus Julia farewell, right? Which was like all about these tears and sighs. And this is like, my mom was this, this holy shoe you know and th there's something you go from oh this is so nerdy you go from malapropism to like prop humor right you go from malapropism to like using your costumes and all these different bits and also like how are you holding two shoes and the wand and your hat I mean there's just infinite numbers of ways that you can work a sort of physical comedy routine yeah, you also have to hold on to the dog usually so <laughs> and the doc yeah I will say this is one of my um, favorite one a, a line that I think is just funny above all else and just transcends time is that is the the our cat 
wringing her hands. Like, it's just like, yeah, yeah. I can see my little cat just so sad in the corner. (laughs) I love that. It is an amazing, it is an amazing image of a cat. Yeah. Wringing. I also think this is seen like, although it's like Lance, here he is with crab. Um, I think it's it's interesting with Pantino that we've gotten since the end of Act One. Really, we've got three scenes where Pantino is just like, okay, we gotta go. No, 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 we gotta go. Um, could we go? And I think you can do so many fun things with that. Like, is there like, is are they holding a planner? Are they running? Are they like just really yeah, yeah. frazzled, or is it very like inside? And I think just like a small character who has these scenes over and over again because you don't usually see it yeah. that repetitive which might also be a like this is an early Shakespeare play because the same yeah. ending yeah. happens in three scenes um because like yeah. the last scene in act one is the exact same of just like no get off stage we gotta go <laughs> um I just find that interesting <laughs> There's also, um, this is interesting that, uh, Sam, that you're, you were just posting this, um, Pantino from a diminutive of Pato, duck, hence the nickname, a, a person who waddled. I love that. I also think there's a, um, there's sort of an anglicized way in which it sounds like pantler, which is like the butler, right? So, so I think there's, um, or I should say an anglicized version of Pantino would be pantler. Um, so there's, there's, I think there's a sense that this is a very high up uh, in the, in the pecking order of, of Proteus's house. And, and clearly Lance is not, but Lance also has a lot of insight into Proteus as we will see later on in the play. Um, let us go and let's meet two new characters, Cheerio and the Duke. Yeah. Miles, did you have something? Uh, yes, I uh, I did. I was kind when kind of you were uh, when you were t- when we were talking about like the uh, kind of courtly love and the uh, overwroughtness and the uh, the bathos that comes from the uh, contrasting of uh, Proteus and Julia's goodbye with uh, Lance's talk. I just I kind of had a thought about how uh, if it might be possible to like do this as kind of do kind of a modern staging of this where kind of Proteus is somebody who's into like the emo scene and maybe uh maybe Lance is trying to kind of follow on to him a bit that might that might like be a modern day equivalent absolutely I think it is always interesting trying to find what sort of how how does this how would we find the the contemporary yeah. um, resonance here um, yeah. is, is always a good is always a great question to be asking um so now we move on to two four and this is um yeah let's let's just go for it servant mistress master sir Tullio frowns on you i boy it's for love not of you of my mistress then twere good you knocked him servant you are sad indeed madam i seem so Seem you that you are not? Happily I do. Or happily so, I do. So do counterfeits. So do you. What seem I that I am not? Wise. What instance of the contrary? Your folly. And how quote you my folly? I quote it in your jerkin. My jerkin is a doublet. Well then I'll double your folly. How? What angry Sir Tyrio, do you change color? 
Give him leave, madam. He is a kind of chameleon. That hath more mind to feed on your blood than live in your air. You have said, sir. Ay, sir, and done too for this time. I know it well, sir. You always end ere you begin. A fine volley of words, gentlemen, and quickly shut off. Tis indeed, madam. We thank the giver. Who is that servant? Yourself, sweet lady, for you gave the fire. Sir Churio borrows his wit from your ladyship's looks and spends what he borrows kindly in your company. Sir, if you spend word for word with me, I shall make your wit bankrupt. Ah, I know it well, sir. You have an exchanger of words, and I think no other treasure to give your followers, for it appears by their bare liveries that they live by your bare words. No more, gentlemen, no more. Here comes my father. Now, daughter Sylvia, you are hard beset. Sir Valentine, your father is in good health. What say you to a letter from your friends of much good news? My lord, I will be thankful to any happy messenger from thence. Know ye Don Antonio, your countryman? I, my good lord, I know the gentleman to be of worth and worthy estimation, and not without desert so well reputed. Have he not a son? I, my good lord, a son that well deserves the honor and regard of such a father. You know him well. I knew him as myself, for from our infancy we have conversed and spent hours together, and though myself have been an idle truant, omitting uh, the sweet benefit of time to clothe mine age with angel-like perfection, yet hath Sir Proteus, for that's his name, made use and fair advantage of his days. His years but young, but his experience old. His head unmellowed, but his judgment right. And in a word, for far behind his worth, come all the praise that I now bestow, he, he is complete in feature and in mind, with all good grace to grace a gentleman. Beshrew me, sir. But if he make this good, he is as worthy for an empress's love as me to be an emperor's counselor. Well... Sir, this gentleman is come to me with commendation from great potentates, and here he means to spend his time a while. I think tis no unwelcome news to you. Should I have wished a thing, it had been he. Welcome him, then, according to his worth. Sylvia, I speak to you, and you, Sir Terrio. For Valentine, I need not cite him to it. I will send him hither to you presently. Let this us is... pause right here because I want to just talk about our two new characters. So, Miles, tell me about Cheerio. I am really digging your choice of making him very hoity-toity. <laughs> it's very funny. Uh, I mean, he is kind of like the uh, he is kind of like the uh, the character type, you know. He's like the big. Uh, this just the the suit the high society uh, suitor who uh, shows yeah. up to uh, claim her. Just like uh, and he kind of uh, does. I mean, I haven't. Uh, he kind of doesn't have doesn't really have a whole lot to do in the uh, play, as I understand it. He's just kind of uh, just kind of there to. I guess he makes for for most of the play he makes uh, proteus look uh, look better by comparison except uh, <laughs> i mean un until that scene happens of course 
Yeah, yeah. But uh, but even then, he's he's kind of uh, I get I get he's more of a character type than an actual uh, character. He kind of fancies him. You can see with his bantering with uh, Valentine that he fancies himself something of a wit, and uh, and of course he he keeps just keeps getting outmatched. As, yeah. I mean, with I mean, Valentine's had practice with speed. I I totally I think that's great. I get a sense. I don't know why, but when you were reading this, I was like, oh my god, this is like Demetrius uh, from Midsummer. This is like yeah. a sort of prototype of this this feeling that he has a claim on something because the father has approved of him, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. The woman's consent. Um, and it's just, it just, I don't know why, but I just got very like Lysander Hermia Demetrius vibes yeah. there for yeah. <laughs> at the beginning of the yeah. scene. Yeah, and you know, yeah, it's, you know, it is very, uh, it's very possible to like play this as like a, uh, a like a different form of uh, entitlement as we kind of, yeah. that dynamic was kind of discussed uh, in the last uh, episode a little bit with regards to how Proteus ends up, but uh but this this is kind of like a different. Uh, you could play Turturio as kind of a different form of that. Like uh, it's been it's been decided that uh, yeah. like I I clearly have the claim here. Just uh, let's yeah. just get get on with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really like that interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Jane, did you have something? Yeah, I was going to say quickly. Um, there's almost like a hint of Oscar Wilde in Turturio <laughs> and this this dandy. Yeah, the way that he reacts, the things that he picks up on—it's very Wildian, or prototypically Wildian, at least. I love the distinction about his. No, I'm not wearing a jerkin. This is a doublet. You know, it's like I've got exactly the extra that skirt. You know, like, it's so funny. I'm sorry, Mitch. What was that? No, it's okay. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Demetrius. I get like strong Paris vibes from Romeo and Juliet uh, in this too, and. We've seen a lot of battles of wit, uh, like over the, the the first act and a half of this play. I think this is the first one where I would say there's like a very clear winner, and then somebody who is very clearly outmatched. Like the other ones, they're 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 both holding their own to some extent, but I think that that really lends credence, Miles, to your interpretation of him. Um, yeah, yeah. That I kind of uh, that I kind of took some. Uh... I, I use that line as a baseline myself too. And thank you, and thank you for pointing that out. Um, Colin and or Izzy? We just need a group name, I think, to make it easier. Um, I think what's interesting to me about um, Churio um, is also just honing in on that line about doublet versus jerkin and that is just like, that's someone who like just bought the new fashion and is like, no, this is actually this. And they're like, but you're wearing it wrong. You know, like, I feel like he, like it's not going well. <laughs> like maybe one of those hats that has all the wraps, you know, that was very in at one point, but like, it's not wrapped correctly. But um, <laughs> like, I just like this idea of this person who's who has the money to buy these things and therefore thinks that it is cool, whether or not it is. And it that kind of, ownership of the clothing kind of goes into the ownership of fellow human beings particularly women i guess kind of like a uh, kind of like a very nouveau riche attitude (laughs) yeah and just that like 
I own all of this and I, I basically own by proxy you because I've been accepted into this and it's funny, but also depressing. Um, like, which I think a lot of this stuff is, and I know some people are like, well, it probably wouldn't have been that way at the time. And it's like, I don't care, it's now. <laughs> this is how we view things. It's icky. <laughs> like, well, also, like, I think it's still icky in that time period, just to a, in a different way. Yeah. And, and I, I hate when we shy away from that or like pretend it's not there, I guess. Absolutely. Well, and the, and the sort of legacy of like a woman, you get property when you marry her. She is property, right? In a, in a certain sense, historically, she needs to be passed from her father, which, haha, great transition. Let's bring in the Duke. Um, <laughs> uh from her father to her husband right and goods it's like goods and services right um larry tell me about the duke he believes in the well-ordered world mm. and um, keeping up appearances making sure money gets transferred to the right family uh turio fits the bill although there's trouble in paradise in there i mean it's i mean there has to, there has to be some sort of mutual thing between them and i think at this side he already knows there's trouble so but there's still that that sense of will we're going to get through this you know and we will we're going to plow this is going to be plowed through we're going to get through this um and uh, even with valentine I, I i get the sense that you know he sees Oh, the, there, here's an advantage for you. It's like he, he's the one who hands out advantages. So he has power. Uh, and um, in, in that sense, you know, I, he's blindsided. He will be blindsided. So you, you have to, I think you have to be totally on top of the game. And even if you see trouble, you don't, you don't let anybody see that they're sweating here, you know. So. Yeah, I think that's great. And that's going to really help us in act three when you have this, this scene with Proteus of like, yeah, I have noticed it. And I thought I would say something, but I don't want to cause anything, you know, and, and the way in which you pursue catching Valentine is so smooth. Like it's so expertly done. Right. And, and yet it's not. <laughs> I, I think he, he's, he, he pulls a few rabbits out of his hat in, 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 in Act 3. And so, um, so I, I'm looking forward to that. But for this, I, you know, it's kind of intro and it's like every line has to be, this is who he is. So there's no question. Um, and it also sets up the friction for, for the lovers later on. If we truly believe that there, there's no other outcome. You know, yeah. you know, the, there's resistance throughout the whole thing. There, the, the the bar is so high. How are these people going to get over this? Um, so he can't be stupid. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And I think there's something. It, it's funny that trying to we've been in prose for the beginning of the scene, and then when mm -hmm. the Duke comes in, we switch to verse. We switch to an right. ordered rhythmic way of speaking and interacting and part of that has right. to do with formality but i think another part of it also has to do with this is the way we speak this is the proper way to yeah speak. I, I think that's that's true there is some room you know we can have a couple of enjambments in here yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like a, it's like yeah so 
Absolutely. And there's actually a really interesting uh, rhythmic thing that happens actually Valentine in your, in your next line um, of uh, a lot of feminine endings in this next couple sections and a lot of um, very kind of rare in Shakespeare. It's called a double feminine ending where you sort of have two little extra unstressed syllables at the end of the, of the line. Um, and to me, that always gives the sense that the character is like, I don't, like, doesn't know quite how to order their thoughts. So without further ado, because I do, I do want to talk about this little love triangle, but I also want to make sure that we are able to get through the whole act. Why don't we move on and read through to the end of the scene? So, um, yeah, let's, let's take it away from the Duke's exit. Uh, this is the gentleman I told your ladyship had come along with me, but that his mistress did hold his eyes locked in her crystal looks. Like that now she hath enfranchised them upon some other pawn for fealty? Nay, sure, I think she holds them prisoners still. Nay, then, he should be blind, and being blind, how could he see his way to seek out you? Why, lady love hath twenty pair of eyes. They say that love hath not an eye at all to see such lovers churio as yourself upon a homely object love can wink. i've done i've done here comes the gentleman welcome dear proteus mistress i beseech you confirm his welcome with some special favor his worth is warrant for his welcome hither if this be he you oft have wished to hear from mistress it is sweet lady entertain him to be my fellow servant to your ladyship too low a mistress for so high a servant. Not so, sweet lady, but too mean a servant to have a look of such a worthy mistress. Oh, leave off discourse of disability. Sweet lady, entertain him for your servant. My duty will I boast of, nothing else. And duty never yet did want his meed. Servant, you are welcome to a worthless mistress. I'll die on him that says so but yourself. But you are welcome. That you are worthless. <laughs> Madam, my lord, your father would speak with you. I wait upon his pleasure. Come, Sir Turio, go with me. Once more, new servant, welcome. I'll leave you to confer home affairs. When you have done, we look to hear from you. We'll both attend upon your ladyship. Now tell me, how do all from whence you came? <laughs> your friends are well and have thee much commended. And how do yours? I left them all in health. How does your lady, and how thrives your love? My tales of love were wont to weary you. I know you join not in a love discourse. Aye, Proteus, but that life is altered now. I have done penance for committing love, whose high imperious thoughts have punished me with bitter fasts, with penitential groans, with nightly tears, and daily heart sore sighs, for in revenge of my contempt of love, love hath chased sleep from my enthralled eyes and made the watchers of my own heart sorrow. Oh, gentle Proteus loves a mighty Lord and hath so humbled me as I confess there is no woe to his correction nor to his service, no such joy on earth. Now, no discourse except it be of love. Now can I break my fast, dine, sup, and sleep upon the very naked name of love. Enough. I read your fortune in your eye. Was this the idol that you worship so? Even she? And is she not a heavenly saint? 
No, but she is an earthly paragon. Call her divine. I will not flatter her. Oh, flatter me for love delights and praises. When I was sick, you gave me bitter pills, and I must minister the like to you. Oh, then speak the truth by her. If not divine, yet let her be a principality sovereign to all the creatures of this earth. Except my mistress. Sweet, except not any, except thou wilt accept against my love. Have I not reason to prefer mine own? And I will help thee to prefer her too. She shall be dignified with this high honor to bear my lady's train, lest the base earth should from her vesture chance to steal a kiss, and of so great a favor growing proud, disdain to root the summer swelling flower and make rough winter everlastingly. Why, Valentine, what braggadism is this? Pardon me, Proteus. All I can is nothing to her whose worth makes other worthies nothing. She is alone. Then let her alone. Not for the world. Why, man, she is mine own, and I, as rich in having such a jewel as twenty seas, if all their sand were pearls, the water, nectar, and the rocks, pure gold. Oh, forgive me that I do not dream on thee, because thou seest me dote upon my love. My foolish rival that her father likes, only for his possessions are so huge, is gone with her along, and I must after, for love thou knowst is full of jealousy. But she loves you. I and we are betrothed, nay, nay more, our marriage hour, with all the cunning manner of our flight determined of, of how I must climb her window, the, the ladder made of cords and all the means plotted and agreed on for my happiness. Good Proteus, go with me to my chamber in these affairs to aid me with thy counsel. Go on before. I shall inquire you forth. I must unto the road to disembark some necessaries that I needs must use, and then I'll presently attend you. You make haste? I will. Even as one heat, another heat expels, or as one nail by strength drives out another, so the remembrance of my former love is by a newer object quite forgotten. Is it mine or Valentine's praise, her true perfection or my false transgression that makes me reasonless to reason thus? She is fair, and so is Julia that I love, that I did love. For now my love is thawed, which like a waxen image against a fire bears no impression of the thing it was. Methinks my zeal to Valentine is cold, and that I love him not as I was wont. Oh, but I love his lady too, too much. And that's the reason I love him so little. How shall I dote on her with more advice that thus, without advice, begin to love her? Tis but her picture I have yet beheld, and that hath dazzled my reason's light. But when I look on her perfections, there is no reason but I shall be blind. If I can check my erring love, I will. If not, to compass her, I'll use my skill. Dun, 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 dun. Wow, what a, speaking of transformations, what a transformation of Proteus. Like just his language is so different. There's like no images. There's there's a lack of, in, he just seems so cold. I don't know. What'd you, what were your thoughts, Mitch? Yeah, I was, well, one question I went into reading it this time was like, 
you know, if I was playing Proteus, when does this happen? When does it clearly we're still in process here because he hasn't totally given up on this is going to happen, but like, when does it start? And I, you can make some arguments from textual evidence. Like I was looking at it a little bit this afternoon, but reading it, I sensed that shift pretty much from the beginning. It like feels very, um, yeah, he, he's not speaking in imagery. He's suddenly like doing something with every line and like getting information. And like, it feels like trying to manage Valentine uh, and things like that. So I, I don't think it's definitive in my head yet, but I'm leaning towards like pretty early, like maybe right when he sees her, this, the seed of this starts working. I mean, Proteus has no interest in talking about Julia, like right from the start, you know, Valentine's like, tell me about your girl. And you're like, no, you don't want to hear that. And I think that could definitely speak to Proteus, uh, you know, wiping up some drool from his chin after seeing Sylvia. And then there's this, then the, yeah, totally. And then there's this curious moment where he does bring her up though. And it's when Valentine starts going like, Sylvia's amazing, Sylvia's amazing, Sylvia's the best. And I was like, okay, but what's up with that? Why bring up Julia then? And I wonder if it's just to try to temper Sylvia being the best in Valentine's mind to be like, wow, she's not, let me remind you of this other woman, you know, in an attempt to get him to like, my, mine's good too. Why, why is yours better than mine? Right. And, and not no. that I genuinely feel that, but like that I want him to. Well, it's a, it's, yeah, it's for sure. And it's also a status thing, right? Especially mm. like women are seen as property. It's like, I feel like Ariana, I feel like we talked about this a bit, maybe in Henry four were we talking about, oh we're no we were talking about horses horses or something and the men like and their obsession with their horses that kind of feels relevant here the too in a, in a in a funny way where it's like the the men are like comparing their women or their women are representative of like their own self-worth absolutely yeah and I, I I think there's there's something that that struck me is that in the first scene, I believe Proteus at one point calls Valentine sweet Valentine, right? And here he doesn't. And in fact, Valentine calls him sweet, sweet, except not any, right? He's, he's like, and that to me is like very telling, right? That in, in a weird way, it's like their roles have been reversed in this in this scene. Yeah, Sam, did you have any any thoughts about this this moment? Yeah, but I, before I get to my thought, I just want to point out that I'm pretty sure that Proteus offers to lose a duel for her, um, which I think is like a really funny way of like, and, and a cool note into sort of the more bookishness of the character. Um, I'll, I'll try to find it because I, uh, uh, I, I would die on the man, is it? He doesn't say he'll kill, he would die. Uh, and I took that to mean like die on somebody else's sword to defend yeah. your honor. But it die could be- Die fighting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, uh, he won't win the duel for her, but he will gladly die in the duel for her. But that back end of the scene for Valentine is just really fun. Cause there's, I, I don't want to say he's a back-footed character, um, but he doesn't have that rushing forward energy all that much. And when um, Proteus shows up, it's like this dam bursting inside of him. It, it really, the words feel like, a, a, you know, I know that people always go like, get off the Shakespeare train. Like, I know you want to go fast, but slow it down, slow it down, slow it down. 
like that's a moment where it feels like the energy of it wants to go fast. Like, I haven't seen you in so long. I've fallen completely in love. Oh my God, you were right about everything. You were so right. You were so right. Help me, dude. You got to help me. Can you please help me? Like it has that energy to it. And I think it's also really telling that he doesn't see the change in Proteus at all. You know, I think that he's so blind in this moment to everything that's kind of not Sylvia that he doesn't clock the change in Proteus. He doesn't even clock, like in a staging of it, I, I would, I mean, it might be a little bit obvious, but I always have like Proteus walk in and see her and just be like almost dumbfounded. You know what I mean? Like not fully enter into the room. You'd make a moment out of it. And in that case, I would probably tell the Valentine act or Valentine actor just like, ignore that you don't notice shit happening here um and so it is this really funny change that goes through him and like this is the best day ever for 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 valentine right like he's absolutely in love he kind of thinks that she loves him back and they're gonna elope and his best friend is here like everything is great he's having a great day (laughs) and it's just not it's just not yeah. When do, when do we find, when do we, is the elopement a thing or did Valentine make that up? We, it's the thing that eventually happens or, or that yeah. they eventually attempt. So I imagine that it's a thing, right? Or I don't okay. know. Okay. We just I, like, I, yeah, absolutely. You did not get that at all from like their interaction. It's only like Valentine just says it. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I have a feeling that they are putting on a show for everyone. Cause I think this is in a very, I always like to, <laughs> Any, any of you who have been in shows that I've directed on this, I was really like distinguishing between public spaces and private spaces, right? And this to me feels like this is very public. Um, we got a hint from Speed that Sylvia is probably not able to express herself very freely in this yeah. public court. So to me, I got a sense at the top that they're speaking in code, that they're sort of like, yes, servant. You know, it's like their little secret, like they have a little secret that, that they're, that they're hiding in plain sight is, is kind of the sense that I got. Um, that's cute, but yeah, yeah, it's so cute. Um, also miles, I figured out the, I think I figured out the servant question, which is, uh, that in some scripts, it's a servant that comes in and says, madam, my Lord, your father would speak with you, but I had kept it with what it is in the folio, which is cheerio, which I love because to me, that gives him a moment of like, we're supposed to be somewhere. And I don't like this new guy. He's saying big things. (laughs) Excuse me. I exist. Absolutely. I, I think that's a, I think that's a great comedy moment too. Like, yes. uh, were we supposed to, your dad wanted us, if <laughs> you will excuse us. And then like off he goes. <laughs> yeah. Sylvia also does um, side with uh, Valentine in the battle of wits at the top as well. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's true. Larry, did you, did you have something as well? Well, it's a question. I, um, because I've seen scenes from this, remember I, I had mentioned that, and it always comes up, and that's the love between Valentine and Proteus. Where, to what extent does that go? You know, the, that friendship, okay? So, you know, in terms of when Proteus is going through, you know, or Valentine's praise, you know, and he, it's, 
there's that friendship now is in the way and it has to be dealt with. And I don't know to what extent. And it's always been a question, you know, and I, I always say, well, what do you guys think? You know, and I leave it to the guy to figure out what is their backstory in terms of, you know, where loyalty, where are the lines of loyalty, where are the lines of, you know, betrayal and how much does it hurt? Okay, because it has to be there. Um, I mean, it gets totally trashed. <laughs> but you have to have something to trash, I, I think, is what I always I say. Look for the thing that hurts to trash. And I think somewhere in there is the truth between, you know, that relationship. Because it's not just about the, the, the male-female relationships. I mean, we, these guys are on stage too much, you know. And it, it has yeah, to be a complicated absolutely. relationship. So, um, and I think that kind of back and forth before Proteus, finally, where the dam breaks because he can speak, you know, it's, I think a lot of that, I think, I think that's another thing that's being juggled in the scene. So, and I don't know where, you know, where that lies. So it's just, an, it's just a thought. Always comes up, though, with the two actors. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Um, and I just wanted to point out that when we get to two six, I think it's really telling that the first three lines of Proteus's speech is the first two lines to leave my Julia. Shall I be forsworn question mark to love fair Sylvia? Shall I be forsworn to wrong my friend? I shall be much forsworn. Much forsworn. <laughs> and it's not a right. question, right? The other two are right. questions, and that one is a right. statement. He's like, I don't know what I what my relationship is with these two women, but I know that if I continue the way I am, yeah, I will break this yeah. male bond. And, and, and that, I think that's what it, that's man. yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, Mitch, I, I, this is something I wanted to note in this scene too. I, I think that's the main structural thing in the play uh, and we'll talk more about that in act five when it gets really problematic that i think that's the main structural thing in the play um but yeah i think it's absolutely in here i think the use of the word sweet like you pointed out ariana it feels like that is their normal sort of default that they use that that type of language with each other i think the first scene does a lot of work for proteus in this relationship right he's just being so kind and so wonderful and Valentine's teasing him, but it seems like because he's worried about Proteus. Um, and then I was just really struck by the speech that Valentine gives to the Duke in this scene about Proteus is like not what I would have guessed based on Valentine's language in scene one, like he thought, because he was sort of ribbing Proteus, like you're being sluggardized. We talked about a lot, right? But actually, the thing he says to the Duke is like, this guy's really great. And like, I have, I've been like um, shirking things off, but he's like on it. He's the best. He's amazing. And then he's like so loving in his language with Proteus. And so I think there is, I think it's really important that their default is that they like pr probably care about each other more than truly just about anything. Yeah. And I think that is what, that's where it's like that those pillars are what the play has to rest on and where it gets wobbly right when when they when they push it one way or the other there yeah, is a line here that i i think um is going to echo 
in the more problematic scene when we have to discuss it and different interpretations therein. Um, but Proteus has a line, oh, but I love his lady too, too much. And that's the reason I love him so little. Um, and this idea of placing love in other people and in women and in the world. And this idea of, of I, I guess we, we'll talk more about, it, but the scarcity of it, it's like he's used up all of it and it's no more there. And, and that line really did key in because that's, that's the fundamental problem here. Because I, I do think that if these two men don't have a bond and a love that sort of, that you, that the audience believes in, then this whole thing is going to fall apart. And it's just kind of an ugly play with maybe nothing redeemable in it. But if there is this sort of thing, then maybe not so much. But I, I do think that it's interesting that we already have right here in act two, an echo of what's going to be said later on in act five. Yeah. And just to go with that whole there's a there's like a finite amount of love this does seem to me to be the first time that proteus is acknowledging that and it's something that we will see totally in contrast with the way at the end of the act we see julia and lucetta talking and julia saying he's sworn infinite oaths oaths of infinity and lucetta being like that's not great <laughs> um yeah Infinity has um, also already been stated and talked about earlier in this play, or like the idea of there's that yeah. thing back and forth with speed about infinity um, earlier in this act. Absolutely. Um, let us move on to our, our first interaction between speed and Lance or Lance um, and, and Crab, of course. Lance, by my honesty, Lance, by mine honesty, welcome to Padua. Forswear not thyself, sweet youth, for I am not welcome. I reckon this always, that a man is never undone till he be hanged, nor never welcome to a place till some certain shot be paid, and the hostess say, welcome. Come on, you madcap. I'll to the alehouse with you presently, where, for one shot of five pence, thou shalt have five thousand welcomes. But, sirrah, how did thy master part with Madam Julia? Mary, after they closed in earnest, they parted very fairly in jest. But shall she marry him? No. Uh, how then? Shall he marry her? No, neither. What, are they broken? No, they are both as whole as a fish. Well then, how stands the matter with them? Mary thus. When it stands well with him, it stands well with her. What an ass art thou. I understand thee not. Block art thou that thou canst not. My staff understands me. Aye, and what I do too. Look thee, I'll but lean, and my staff understands me. It stands under thee, indeed. Why, stand under and understand is all one. But tell me true. Will it be a match? Ask my dog. If he say aye, it will. If he say no, it will. If he shake his tail and say nothing, it will. The conclusion is then that it will. Thou shalt never get such a secret from me, but by a parable. Tis well that I get it so. But Lance, how sayst thou um, that my master is become a notable lover? I never knew him otherwise. Then how? 
a notable lubber, as thou reportest him to be. Why, thou horse and ass, thou mistakest me. Why, fool, I meant not thee, I meant thy master. I tell thee, my master is become a hot lover. Why, I tell thee, I care not, though he burn himself in love. If thou wilt, go with me to the alehouse. If not, thou art not worth the name of a Christian. Why? Because thou hast not so much charity in thee as to go to the ale with the Christian. Wilt thou go? At thy service. Great. Excellent. We have our drinking buddies together. (laughs) I really enjoy the dynamic of the two of them. It's like very unexpected. Like you would think that speed would sort of have the upper hand in this little like chummy relationship but it it really seems like like lance does i don't know what what were your impressions my my uh my game show <laughs> too i don't know i do love that they have their energies just vibe so well but you wouldn't have guessed it from their earlier scenes just kind of as you were saying a bit not to just repeat what you literally just said but um like because Lance in this scene kind of is more like, I'm going to be a little witty. I'm going to poke you a bit. And it's like, I don't think like this is his normal, like with other people, there's a different dynamic. Like with Pantino, it's more of a like, yes, I'm playing with words, but I'm sad about it. And um, I think we see that later as well in some of the other scenes. Because Lance, classic, a very comedic character who throughout, is supposed to be pretty sad. And um, I I just think it's, I don't know. I just really like this scene, first of all, because it's so short. We're not trying to focus too hard on it. It's just like, okay, here's the dynamic. Here's just a little update for those of you who fell asleep in the audience, what's happening. Yeah, that person loves that person now. Um, there we go. And I, I do think for such an early play, it is, I really appreciate how short it is because it could like, I feel like Shakespeare could just be like, you know what, I'm really smart. I want to keep writing this. And then it's like a, it's a 10 page scene of just them being like, I'm witty. No, I'm wittier. Um, and I don't know. I just appreciate how kind of short and sweet it is. Also, I love the joke about understanding because I once did see a sign that literally said no understanding instead of don't stand under this and I just thought it was funny so (laughs) that's awesome I also think it's an important interlude because we it's like Shakespeare needed to give us a little scene we need Proteus to go dark and go deep and then we need to see him and we need to get our sort of second soliloquy with him but like something needs to happen in the interim and so to me it's like well, we have a very, I mean, this one, the thing I love about this play so far is it's such a small cast list. Oh my God. Having just done all the history plays, as I said, and the other thing, it's like, oh my God, they all fit on one sheet of paper. It's incredible. Um, and so it's like, we're seeing all of, very similar to As You Like It, right? Once you get into the forest, we just see all the permutations of character interactions, right? And it's a play about character interactions. But so I really feel like this act is about that. This act is like, ooh, which combinations can we put together and see how they work? Um, Colin, did you have some some thoughts on speed in this scene? 
Absolutely. Um, so I guess uh, one of the most common critiques I've gotten in my own like creative writing classes is, uh, Colin, every character can't be the funny one. Um, and I think it's 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 a struggle to write if, uh, but like this, this scene still somehow works even though you have two fools just bantering back and forth. And with, with Speed in particular, because in, in previous um, iterations of Speed, previous um, scenes that we've seen with him, um, he doesn't, I guess, really lose any of the battle of wits. Like he, he doesn't really, there are little negs, but I still think that Speed generally wins with all of those. And so we finally get a scene where it's like pretty clear that Lance is on the upper end here. And I, I think that's necessary for the humility of Speed. And it's an interesting uh, way to see him in the scene is finally being a, a little bit under when he's the fast one, but suddenly the slow one's getting a, a stinger in there. So uh, I, I really enjoy seeing that interplay between the two. And um, I, I, I do agree with Izzy that um, it's, it's good that it's short and sweet because I feel like if it went on any longer, it could get to the point where it's like, no, 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 they can't just be funny the whole time. That it, it could get old, but it's sweet. It gets the jokes in where they have to get, it gets the point across, it serves as narrative purpose, get in, get out, it's great. It also establishes the relationship that they have so that when we next see them, there's a little bit more juice, I think, to that scene than if we if we had not um, had this establishing of what their dynamic is. Um, great. Let us move on to 2-6, Proteus, whenever you are ready. To leave my Julia, shall I be forsworn? To love fair Sylvia, shall I be forsworn? To wrong my friend, I shall be much forsworn. And even that power, which gave me first my oath, provokes me to this threefold perjury. Love bade me swear, and love bids me forswear. Oh, sweet suggesting love, if thou hast sinned, teach me thy tempted subject to excuse it. At first I did adore a twinkling star, but now I worship a celestial sun. Unheedful vows may heedfully be broken, and he wants wit that once resolved will to learn his wit to exchange the bad for better. Fie, fie, unreverend tongue, to call her bad whose sovereignty so oft thou hast preferred with twenty thousand soul-confirming oaths? I cannot leave to love, and yet I do. But there I leave to love where I should love. Julia I lose, and Valentine I lose. But if I keep them, I needs must lose myself. If I lose them, thus find I by their loss. For Valentine, myself. For Julia, Sylvia. I to myself am dearer than a friend, for love is still most precious in itself. And Sylvia, witness heaven that made her fair, shows Julia but a swarthy Ethiop. I will forget that Julia is alive, remembering that my love to her is dead. And Valentine, I'll hold an enemy, aiming at Sylvia as a sweeter friend. I cannot now prove constant to myself without some treachery used to Valentine. This night he meaneth with a corded ladder to climb celestial Sylvia's chamber window, myself in counsel his competitor. Now presently I'll give her father notice of their disguising and pretended flight, who, all enraged, will banish Valentine, for Cheerio, he intends, shall wed his daughter. 
But Valentine being gone, I'll quickly cross by some sly trick blunt Cheerio's dull proceeding. Love, lend me wings to make my purpose swift, as thou hast lent me wit to plot this drift. Damn. Where to begin? I mean, I think Just acknowledge me, the casual racism. Uh, yeah, just casual <laughs> yeah, racism yeah, all over just, the shop. Yeah. There, there's a yeah. lot of, there's also some anti-Semitism as well um, in some of Lance's things about like, you're, you're no better than a Jew. You're not a Christian. Like most of the times when he says better than a Christian is he's always making some, some reference to the other person being a Jew, which is interesting to me because Lancelot, <laughs> little Lance, right in Merchant of Venice, does the same thing frequently. Um, so it's like an interesting character th- uh, thread. Um, I also just, to me, that this speech is really fascinating because it there's so many moments of change, right? There's so many changing your mind, which actually in this strange way like makes this a would be a really disturbing but perhaps interesting like audition speech for a young actor maybe with the few cuts um that that there are so many moments of change and so many it's like you show us the thought and then you look at the thought from another perspective right and so i, I don't know what were your sort of what were your feelings and thoughts as you were as you were going through this mesh yeah well that was one of them is like he's it 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 goes back and forth it's like it's like he wants to be convinced he wants to convince himself that it's okay to indulge this right sweet suggesting love if thou hast sinned teach me thy tempted subject to excuse it which i think means like love's a prostitute if what you're getting me to do is like a sinful thing like show me how I can just like let that happen. Um, I think is sort of how I read that. I'm interested if somebody reads that um, differently, but that feels like what's going on. Like, like Proteus's conscience, like just pops up every once in a while uh, to say like, don't call Julia bad. And then Proteus like really pushes it down. Like the effortful part of this feels to me like it's like, no, this feels good, this loving her. And this is what I want to do. So I'm going to convince myself that this is okay. The character resonance that jumped out for me so much is Angelo and Measure for Measure. Oh, totally. Um, yeah. This, the, because this is also the first time that we get this language of seduction and sin. This was not a part of his like... <laughs> This wasn't a part of his love language. <laughs> Jeez, <I> really. <laughs> this wasn't a part of the way that he talked about love and about his feelings before, right? Mm. There is something about this that is like, I think this, to me, this just feels so proto-Angelo. Like, so like, it hurts me. This physically hurts me, but I'm gonna do it, you know? And that there is that, that, that tension, I think if, if he becomes a sort of mustachio twirling villain, like I just, I lose all interest in the play, but I think if he still has this, like, I am tearing myself apart. That's actually kind of amazing to watch, right? That's, that's an amazing character thing to watch. Um, Yeah, Sam. Just to be a little controversial, I also see a bit of Romeo in this, 
um, like a darker version of like if Romeo was a more evil, destructive character, and, and there's an argument to be made in that play that he is a very destructive character. Um, but it's that same sense of instantaneously sees a girl, can't control the feelings that he has about a girl, those uncontrollable feelings and the self-convincing that those feelings are correct is going to cause a ton of damage to everybody else that's in the play. And, and I think that the difference between that is, is that Juliet falls just in love with Romeo. And so it's sort of justified and tragic. Whereas in this play, it's not reciprocated. And so it's awful and it's going to be a comedy. Yeah. And I always think it's like whenever I'm, I'm teaching like middle schooler or high school students, I'm always like, just remember guys, that comedy does necessarily mean it's funny just means we're going to end with a marriage or marriages in act five (laughs) like we can go real dark real deep really we can get just as you know as i was saying uh in our in our first session we can go to the the dark coffee and the whiskey and the irish in the irish coffee we don't have to just stay in the fluffy delicious sweet cream at the top oh my god i want an irish coffee yeah um colin izzy izzy colin I just like reflecting characters that are going to come later or famous other Shakespeare characters because we seem to be doing that a lot especially because it's just such an early play you can really like it's just hard not to whereas in other plays it's kind of like oh yeah I guess I see that but this is like oh it's so early he's like ready to do all these other things he's not quite there yet but um I think what's interesting is in this speech is it kind of gives me we were talking about Demetrius earlier with Churio and I feel like Demetrius is a combination of Proteus and Churio in a way and that this speech gives me like Demetrius's how Demetrius like kind of thinks of like no 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 it's yeah I used to like Helena but actually like I have a justification for why I'm gonna do this and here it is. And I'm just gonna go for that. I'm so sorry, but not really, because I feel like, uh, especially a lot of modern productions kind of take away, like cut the lines that say like, no, Demetrius and Helena were like a thing, (laughs) not a thing. And so that's why this gives me like real big Demetrius vibes. Um, And I I just think it's interesting because it's more than one character that's planting the seed for this character that we're gonna see in a bit I don't know it's just given me all the little seeds you know little mm-hmm. character biographies yeah mm-hmm. yeah, yeah Larry the, I mean it, there seems to be two paths here I mean all great speeches have the beginnings middles and ends you know to them uh, but if we go the Macbeth route the dark route you know th- this is like before when he's weighing whether he's going to kill or not you know and uh, you know um that, you know where he's going to over or leap into the into the future or is he going to go through it um or we can go the helena route where it's like i don't know what's going on but i think i'm just going to go mess everything up you know so <laughs> it's kind of like which which way do you want to go go with this i do like the darker side i have to say i kind of like that darker side in the angelo the what what you were the parallel that you were making there because so much of it, uh, and we find the the uh, the violence that happens at the end, you know, it helps justify 
you know, what happens toward, toward the end that, you know, um, the physical violence and you know, it's really what the men do. Yeah. And it's like, to me, it's like, he's kind of emotionally hurting himself during this. So it makes a lot of sense that he would hurt other people. You know, that's just, I mean, to go really, really dark, but there's a lot of, you know, kids who are beaten tend to grow up and beat other people. Right. There, there is a, that's because as, as somebody once said, which I think is, is so devastating for kids who are beaten by their parents, they learn that that's what happens. That's what you do to the people who you love. Right. So that, that becomes the way they express love. Um, and it's all messed up. The, 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 the brain wires have just gone a bit, a bit across ways. Um, so and they, to kill off, yeah, and yeah. to kill off Julia. Yeah. Uh, I can only do it if I if she's dead. Yeah. <laughs> Remembering that my love to her is dead. Right. It's like he's killing part of himself. I don't think that's light. I don't know. No, no, and I think, <laughs> I think we I think we lean into it. I think that's the way that yeah. this play really really works is, is when is when we lean into those those conflicts um, yeah don't worry speed and lance they'll they'll they'll, they'll brighten everything up you know <laughs> right. bring out the dog quick <laughs> okay Release that's it the dog. <laughs> yes um jane did you have something as well yeah i just wanted to point out a few lines that really stuck out to me as as mitch was um was reading this speech i mean they they really hit me when he, when he was read like auditorily, they really stuck out. And then when I pieced them together, I went, ah, now I see why those really jumped out at me. Um, one was, if I keep them, I must needs lose myself. I to myself am dearer than a friend. <laughs> and. He said, I cannot now prove constant to myself without some treachery yes, to Valentine. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. I cannot now prove constant to myself without some treachery used to Valentine. Right, like those three lines just tell us and really give us this really interesting insight into the psychology of Proteus, I think. This idea of self and other, and that never the twain shall meet. Like if, if he, he sets up what some might call a false dichotomy and sort of paints himself into this little corner. Like if, if it's gonna be this way, then none of this other stuff can happen and I can't navigate complexity or nuance. Right, and it's on that- For everybody else. And it's on the third one, it's on the third one that, you know, that you were pointing out is when the decision is made, he says, here are my actions now. So it really is, it's, that's the, that's the put, that's like, again, the dam breaking, you know, that's when the decision has been made. Okay, do a plot. Okay. Like Helen is, I will go into the woods and, you know, and make it, you know, and tear this whole thing apart. (laughs) So I I think that's. That's the decision. If you're looking for lines, yeah. that's how I'm going to do this. Yeah. 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 And, 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 and what thought leads to the action? Mitch, did you have one more thing before we, before we move on? Well, I was just going to say all of those are himself and the other is Valentine. And I think we see them before being one and the same. They're almost wedded. And I think Proteus knows this is wrong. And in order to let himself do it, again, I don't really think he cares as much about Julia. I think he, I think he has feelings about Julia, right? But I think he has to excise 
the part of him that is tied to Valentine from himself and like mm-hmm. cut it out and stick it over there in order to do this thing that he really wants to do. And then I think structurally the undoing of that at the end of the play is maybe interesting the bringing them back together. Um, but I think that, I think it's interesting. Those lines are what jump out, what jumped out to you because they're about Valentine. They're not about the women. They're about Valentine and me. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and that's the thing. None of this is about the women. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not a single bit of it because the women are interchangeable to him. Mm-hmm. It, I, mm-hmm. <laughs> I see. Yeah. What's up, Gilroy? <laughs> no, it's worse than that. It's even worse than what you're saying. In fact, he denigrates <laughs> Julia in it because there's the line unheated, uh, unheated vows make for heated uh, something. Where is it? I had it highlighted and I lost it. Unheedful vows may heedfully be broken. Yeah. So un, un, unthinking vows can be thoughtfully broken, meaning that when he made those vows to Julia, he wasn't even thinking about it, right? Like it's worse mm-hmm. than in, inattentive. He, he yeah. right? It, it's, it's, so I just, I didn't mean to like, I just want to no, point out it's even worse than what you're saying yeah. there in the text itself For by sure. his no, no, own no. admission. No, I, I totally, I agree with that. No, I think that's a really good point. Um, it's just this like really gross idealization of what love is too. And also just, I just w- was so frustrated with him, obviously throughout the whole thing, but also just with this is all with like the assumption that she's Sylvia is going to jump on board with this. It's like, of course she's going to want to do that. I'm here now guys. So fuck the rest of them. I'm here. Sylvia, you come over here. We're going to live happily ever after. And if I lose a couple friends, eh, it, it happens, you know, that's, it's just gross to me. The, the closing of the last speech, the last line we heard him say, um, if I can check my erring love, I will. So if I can change it, I will. But if not, to compass her, I'll use my skill. Like he's gonna get her. You know what I mean? And I agree. He he doesn't really care what she wants. Gosh, I really just want this the scene of the two women together. And I just can we can we get to that scene, please? Let's let's have a let's have Julia and Lucetta come on in and 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 Aww. and save us from this, the the dark and twisties here. Um yes please <laughs> yeah well kind of it's just sad just here we go sad. whenever okay. you're ready counsel lucetta gentle girl assist me and even in kind love i do conjure thee who art the table wherein all my thoughts are visibly charactered and engraved to lessen me and tell me some good mean how with my honor i may undertake a journey to my loving proteus alas the way is wearisome and long A true devoted pilgrim is not weary to measure kingdoms with his feeble steps, much less shall she that hath love's wings to fly. And when the flight is made to one so dear of such divine perfection as Sir Proteus. Better forbear till Proteus make return. Oh, knowst thou not his looks are my soul's food? Pity the dearth that I have pined in by longing for that food so long a time. Didst thou but know the inly touch of love that wouldst as soon go kindle fire with snow as seek to quench the fire of love with words? I do not seek to quench your love's hot fire, but qualify the fire's extreme rage, lest it should burn above the bounds of reason. 
the more thou damp'st it up, the more it burns. The current that with gentle murmur glides, thou know'st, being stopped impatiently, doth rage. But when his fair course is not hindered, he makes sweet music with the enameled stones, giving a gentle kiss to every sedge he overtaketh in his pilgrimage. And so by many winding nooks he strays with willing sport to the wild ocean. Then let me go and hinder not my course. I'll be as patient as a gentle stream and make a pastime of each weary step till the last step have brought me to my love. And there I'll rest as after much turmoil, a blessed soul doth in Elysium. But in what habit will you go along? Not like a woman, for I would prevent the loose encounters of lascivious men. Gentle Lucetta, fit me with such weeds as may beseem some well-reputed page. Why, then, your ladyship must cut your hair. No, girl. I'll knit it up in silken strings with twenty odd conceited true love knots. To be fantastic may become a youth of greater time than I shall show to be. What fashion, madam, shall I make your breeches? That fits as well as tell me, good my lord, what compass will you wear your farthingale? Why, even what fashion thou best likes, Lucetta? You must needs have them with a codpiece, madam. Uh, out, out, Lucetta, that will be ill-favored. A round hose, madam, now's not worth a pin unless you have a codpiece to stick pins on. Lucetta? As thou lovest me, let me have what thou think'st meet and is most mannerly. But tell me, wench, how will the world repute me for undertaking so unstained a journey? I fear me it will make me scandalized. If you think so, then stay at home and go not. No, nay, that I will not. Then never dream on infamy, but go. If Proteus like your journey when you come, no matter who's displeased when you are gone. I fear me he will scarce be pleased with all. That is the least, Lucetta, of my fear. A thousand oaths, an ocean of his tears, and insistence of infinite of love warrant me welcome to my Proteus. All these are servants to deceitful men. Base men that use them to so base effect but truer stars did govern Proteus's birth. His words are bonds, his oaths are oracles, his love sincere, his thoughts immaculate, his tears, pure messengers sent from his heart, his heart as far from fraud as heaven from earth. Pray heaven he prove so when you come to him. Now, as thou lovest me, do him not that wrong to bear a hard opinion of his truth. Only deserve my love by loving him. And presently, go with me to my chamber to take a note of what I stand in need of, to furnish me upon my longing journey. All that is mine, I leave at thy dispose. My goods, my lands, my reputation. Only, in lieu thereof, dispatch me hence. Come, answer not, but to it presently. I am impatient of my tarriance. All right. Oh, poor Julia. Oh, my God. Um, she just doesn't know. She don't know. 
She don't know. She, she just doesn't know. know. But Lucetta seems to know. Lucetta knows. Jane, do you have thoughts on that? Yeah. Lucetta's like, come on, woman. Like, please. <laughs> Listen to how absurd you sound. I'm going to fit you with a cod piece. That's how ridiculous you're being. <laughs> I like, yeah, you- dress up like a man. That's a great idea. Yeah. Julia. I love that. I love that she's like, oh, whatever, whatever you like. And Lucetta's like, well, I like the ones with the cod piece. <laughs> like, it's so good. It's so funny. Um, it, it also, to me, like gives me a sense of like, there is a body humor that's sort of underneath a lot of what Lucetta says. And in that way, you know, we were making comparisons to the nurse in Romeo and Juliet. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of that undercurrent, that sort of earthy bodiness. Um, it sounds like Lucetta has Julius. like been burned and yeah. she she knows yeah. how, how this whole oh, she knows. you know relationship with men thing works and she's like, oh honey. Oh honey. Yeah. Like oh honey, don't, don't. Yeah, and you just well, and, and, you and see- I say earthy because because Julia is so like, oh, the oaths mm-hmm. from heavens and the skies. And you're like, no, no, down on earth, that's not how it works. Well, I, I feel like you that's know? a relationship yeah. that was written a lot in this time too, of like the innocent quote unquote young girl and the experienced body which you know um serving woman or nurse or you know confidant kind of thing but the young women never listen to them <laughs> it's and like they they're there still for don't today. <laughs> and they still fair <laughs> enough they still don't today yeah i mean this is where i think julia's naivete that i was taught i was mentioning earlier in terms of like y- yeah she's she understands love a bit more, but I think in a, at the same time, I don't know that she does because she's just so quick to just throw herself into this so fast, you know? And so, well, I, I guess my question is, it, 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 because this is also a kind of a quick decision for her to go and dress up as a boy um, to go hang out with Proteus. And I guess my question is, is that just because she wants to be with him or is that because she's, she doesn't seem suspicious that he might be unfaithful. It seems, I I, I just can't tell if it's because of her own maybe underlying doubts or if it's just because of her status and not being able, not being able to leave or should, how she shouldn't be leaving. That's a great question, Sam. I think that there is something important in just to connect to our earlier conversation that she's the one driving the relationship, right? Very similar to Juliet, right? In Romeo and Juliet, Juliet's the one like, okay, are we getting married? Um, And same with Miranda in the Tempest, you know, my husband then, shall we shake on it? Like, you know, there is, there is, and also there is a purpose in that, right? Which is preserving my honor and actually allowing me to love in a way that is acceptable, Right. So of course the women are much more concerned about marriage because if they were to, for example, consummate a relationship and not be married, this would be very, very bad. Um, so there is, to me, there is this urgency with these. And, and as we're talking about the sort of development of this sort of, I really feel that there is a, a very sexual undertone to that letter speech. Um, and I, I, I do think that there's something about her that's like, oh, I just got to see him, you know? Um, that that is yeah. driving this. Yeah, Larry, go ahead, please. I'm sorry. I, I think what you, what you just said is absolutely right. It's a rich person's problem also. 
in Midsummer Night's Dream and As You Like It. These are rich people. All they think about is love. and you know, They don't have to worry about their problems. So when, you, when all you do is dwell on them, they become raw like that. Well, I got to do something about it now because I don't have to worry about cooking. I don't have to worry about my dress. I don't have to worry about it. I can just worry about love and I want love now. You know, and so it in a way it's kind of funny that way how they all just go right into the forest. You know, and I, they just take right off. It's like not even a problem. You know, get my Gucci suitcase ready. I'm going. You know, and um, I I think that's where she is. That's why it makes it so passionate. No, 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 I gotta go. And then Lucetta Lucetta keeps it in check by by having he proved so when you come to him, you know, all these body jokes that go right over her head. But they, you know, she said it, you know. But there's nothing, she, even nothing that she can do. Lucetta just can't. You can't tame it. It's it's wild now. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, <laughs> Sam and, and Mitch. I'm just, this line when Julia says, um, a thousand oaths, an ocean of his tears, and instances of infinite, uh, 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 and instances of infinite of love. Um, and uh, Lucetta's response of all of these are servants to deceitful men. That's describing pretty much the two main characters of this play at the very beginning. And it's really actually kind of, I almost see like the instance of Shakespeare here, just like in a time and this, and this play is complicated, but this is him like dragging men a little bit in this. Like when I go through the canon of all of like the romantic heroes, you could apply this to Romeo. You could apply this to all of them, right? They're all showing these big crying, you know, all of these oaths of love and, and, and so on and so forth. And kind of like right here in play number one, Shakespeare's like, those are the tools of deceitful men. Like that is a very clear cut straight ahead line. And, and um, adds a little bit of like an extra layer of, I, I didn't, when I first read through it, that line did not hang out to me, but this time in hearing you guys like read through, I was like, well, shit, this like undermines half of Shakespeare's romantic heroes. like right there off the bat and, and it's kind of like an interesting kind of thing to keep in mind that he would put that out there into the world and he wouldn't give it to one of the servants it's very much put in two women talking to one another and i do think that that's really interesting and it's a great response it is and and it's and it slows the scene down too as well there's there's like a an interesting rhythm back and forth but there's a lot of monosyllabic words in that and whenever we have those a string of monosyllabic words it usually slows us down um and there is there is something very arresting about that about that line um were there any other thoughts on the oh yeah mitch i'm so sorry go ahead that's okay just two things that i think um shakespeare highlights in this scene uh the cost of this journey to Julia or the dangers of this journey to Julia. Like one is if she were to go as a woman, it's physically dangerous. Like she might get raped, right? <laughs> like she's she's worried about that. So she's gonna go in disguise. And then also we, we spend a lot of time with Lucetta pointing out the potential cost to her reputation of 
the dressing in drag, right? Um, uh, or, um, you know, addressing like a man and traveling and the potential dangers of that to her reputation. So Julia is like spending, you know, she's risking things um, to go on this journey for Proteus. Well, for sure. And, and Julia is also concerned. I mean, she asks like, you know, she's concerned about her reputation and her status too. And what's just really tragic about this whole situation is that she doesn't, the reason she doesn't care as much is because of her love for Proteus. Like that is the only thing that she's sure of in this entire scene is like her undying love for him and his quote unquote undying love for her. And to the point where she's like, I mean, she even says that to Lucetta, right? Like that's, that is the least Lucetta of my fear. Like I'm not, I, I'm not scared that he's going to be mad. I know he's going to love this. I know because we love each other so much. Um, so it's worth risking my status, you know? And at the, at the same time, I'm sure the way Julia perceives it is that like, if she's going to her status wouldn't necessarily be harmed if she's with the the man that she loves and is supposed to marry. You know, really the harm to her status will be if she doesn't end up with him, I would yeah, think, which absolutely. I think also makes saying that out loud now, I think that makes the ending particularly weighted and interesting as well, in my humble opinion. Yes, love that. Love it. I think this has been a really... It's the longest act in the play. I will put that out there by 200 lines. Like it's, it's a huge amount of um, the huge amount of action that we just watched and talk about conflict. We've got a lot of conflicts. We've got internal character conflict. We've got conflicts and plotting that's happened. We've got a lot of stuff <laughs> that has happened. Amazing. Well, thank you all so much.